On today's Garnet Community Podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Nicole Kaplan, who currently is working uh, at the European Space Research and Technology Center in the in the Netherlands. But the research we're going to talk about today was done when she was a PhD student at the University of West of England. And the paper is published in uh, Frontiers in Plant Science, the title of which is Developmental Morphological Physiological Traits in Plants Exposed for Five Generations to Chronic Low-Level Ionizing Radiation. So thanks so much, Nicole, for joining us today. So this is a bit of a different paper, and I'm not used to talking about ionizing radiation. So it would be great if you could give us a bit of a, an overview of, uh, of kind of the background of the, of the paper, and then what you did. That would be great. Okay, well, thanks for having me, um, first of all. Um, so the paper um, was co-authored by Alison Halliday and Professor Neil Willey. This project came about, so it was a PhD studentship. Um, and this was funded by the Natural Environment Research Council for the purpose of delivering data that will inform government um, decision makers uh, surrounding the proposal for a new deep geological waste repository in the United Kingdom. The data um, that existed was quite sparse um, and the uh, derived consideration uh, reference levels for radiological protection had come under scrutiny. So the idea was that uh, a research consortium was built um, and uh, various research institutions would be studying um, different organisms and uh, similar endpoints. I was looking at Arabidopsis, a large group of environmental and biological researchers studying these low doses of ionizing radiation okay so yeah let me come in then and ask you uh, about this derived consideration reference level so i wasn't familiar with that before i looked at the paper so can you give a bit of an explanation what that is the long and short of it is these are the levels that uh, define the safe limits of of what what you can what you can expose plants and animals to you said you were in, in the arabidopsis uh, area so what what do you do uh, in this in this paper when I was looking at the research, I found that, yes, there have been a lot of studies on uh, radiation and Arabidopsis. Um, but as far as radiation studies are concerned, there was a paucity in data for not only the type of endpoints that were studied, but also um, multi-generation experiments. So my research centred on... Uh, looking at more of a macro scale as opposed to a molecular one, even though I did incorporate elements of, uh, of some molecular analysis. So also studying the effects of radiation at this low level over time. Uh, one of the one of the things which is most impressive when I when I look at the paper is the experimental setup. So there are a lot of plants involved in this. So can you give us a, an overview of of the generations that you used and the setup that you used to do the measurements that you performed? So after bulking up for two generations, because I think the paper walked up, yes, so it says it was grown over seven generations, which was true, but the radioactivity wasn't introduced until the third generation. Mm -hmm. So in essence, there were five generations of Arabopsis that were exposed to radiation. Mm -hmm. The experimental setup uh, had 18 uh, plants per treatment group so by treatment i'm talking about a negative control positive control and then a radioactive treatment these were grown in soil um, and in a growth cabinet uh, with uh, set day length and humidity with the addition of radiation now what makes that very challenging when you have just you have a, 
a nice growth cabinet, but you you do have limited space. And then when you chuck some ionizing radiation into the mix, you're going to have to really think about shielding. Mm. A lot of tests were carried out where I would have my radioactive soil um, and I would have it in one part of the growth cabinet. And then I would place various level, uh, various layers of lead shielding around the cabinet to make sure that the other, the other treatment groups were not going to be affected mm-hmm. by the radiation. So I was, I was literally putting these layers of lead shielding around the growth cabinet and then taking a Geiger counter to measure the radiation mm-hmm. uh, and, and just hovering it over kind of above and below where the shielding was just to see where it kind of stopped. So what uh, what radiation were you using for this for the ionizing radiation in the experiment? So the isotope was cesium-137. Okay. okay. And uh, I won't go into the exact, the exact, exact doses, but it was roughly um, 40 micrograms an hour. And this, this dose was chosen because it was an average dose that you find in the Chernobyl exclusion zone, which... Okay. A lot of my uh, consortium partners are actually studying in the Chernobyl exclusion zone. One of the reasons I was choosing to do a lab experiment using these doses was because, yes, people have looked at Arabidopsis in the field in Chernobyl, but then what you don't have here in the field is any kind of... um, You can't say for sure that it's the radiation that is causing the effects. And you have so many environmental variables. You have differences in temperature and pH and humidity. You have all of these other things, um, potential pathogens that could be affecting what is happening in the field. So to really pinpoint these effects, I took this dose and had this controlled setup in the lab so that if I was to find anything, then I could start agreeing that yes, it was the radiation that was having an effect. Um, so, so that comes to the results. What do you, what did you find out in the in the paper? <laughs> Everybody's always so excited um, <laughs> to hear me say that actually I didn't find much. Mm-hmm. Um, before before everyone sits there with really kind of disappointed faces, um, it shouldn't be a great surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason being is because plants evolved way before humans and animals did. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the levels of radiation were so, so high, uh, massively, massively high compared to what they are today. Mm-hmm. And so if plants evolved in the presence of radiation, it kind of makes sense that they can handle a little bit because the doses that I was exposing these plants to wasn't a great deal. Alison Halliday, uh, the lab technician, would often say that actually the doses that you would get from uh, from smoking a cigarette would be much higher than the doses of radiation that I was exposing my plants to. So, so in the paper, you you look at a lot of growth parameters and you look at um, a redox state of these plants that are grown f- from seven generations. As you say, the take home is that there's not a huge change, which which is a worthwhile thing to report and which is why it's published in a, in a nice paper year. So. So at the moment, as I mentioned at the start, you work um, for the European Space Agency. Can you give us, um, you know, a, an idea about how this sort of work that you've done might be relevant for, you know, terraforming Mars or things of that nature? If you if you want to speculate at this stage, what I will say is radiation is a huge showstopper for growing anything out in space. The levels of radiation that I was studying in the lab, as I explained before, were low compared to 
the radiation that you get out in space. Coupled with the fact that we have our lovely atmosphere that shields that shields us from all different sorts of uh, galactic cosmic rays and um, and a lot of the the deadly UV radiation that could hit us. And um, of course, when you're looking at terraforming the Moon and Mars, it's going to be a different story. Characteristics of the radiation environment in space are a lot deadlier. Earth is great. So for growing things, so for growing things in space, you are going to need a good level of shielding. If you wanted to replicate experiments to test what it's going to be like in space, you're going to need a lot more, a lot more ionizing radiation, and therefore a lot more shielding and things. So those experiments can be can be much challenging. Yeah. Sure, but not in not inside the ISS. And the reason why I got hold of those seeds that were from the ISS is because the radiation dose that you get on board was almost directly comparable to the doses that I was using in the lab. Okay, okay. Of course, the, the, the spaceship itself provides so much shielding. Mm-hmm. Um, the plant simply wouldn't survive just outside. No, for, for a number of reasons, I think. But uh, that's yeah. true. That's yeah, true. with radiation being just one of them. <laughs> yeah. but, uh... All right, thanks very much, Nicole. It's been great to uh, chat to you today. And th- you know, thanks very much for talking us through this paper. Thank you for having me.